Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, today we're going to be speaking to Joan Thomas. She's the Kidney Community Emergency Response uh, Program Director. And this program is run out of the ESRD National Coordinating Center. And so we're really excited to have Joan here because we're going to learn all about what this um, program does. Welcome to the show, Joan. Thank you, Lori, for having me. I appreciate being here. So tell us a little bit about why this um, emergency response program was created. Well, it was created uh, in 2005. Um, in fact, about a month and a half before Katrina started, it was funded as a project by CMS uh, to start working with the kidney community to get a little more prepared for an emergency. And Katrina hit, and we realized just how serious it was uh, to have patients prepared, to have facilities prepared, and to be able to coordinate uh, different response activities so that people were able to get the treatment they needed within, you know, the required time frame. Well, and you know, I remember that. I remember that because, you know, um, I lived in, I live in Southern California and during the Northridge earthquake, there were facilities that just basically could not operate. And I mean, we're seeing more and more of that. That happened in Katrina. And this is here so patients can be able to find dialysis uh, centers that are able to treat them safely, really, correct? Correct. And, and it's also to make everyone aware, um, every person, uh, whether you're a patient or not, has a responsibility to themselves and to the people around them to be prepared for an emergency in the best way they can be prepared. Um, right. We can't all do it equally, but if everybody does their part, it makes a big difference in us responding to an emergency and making sure that health care needs are met. So since 2005, uh, after Katrina, uh, this, this uh, co- was created as a coalition, and then starting in 2013, it's now a program. So we've taken the ball from 2013 to keep CASER running and to give more tools and templates and uh, different resources to the kidney community so they can be best prepared uh, in an emergency or disaster. Well, and then what I find really fascinating is because on these calls, I've been on these calls, it's basically the leadership of the entire kidney community who are really working together. If, you know, there's a snowstorm hitting a part um, of the East Coast, that they're communicating so that a facility can take on other patients or run extra shifts. And it's really about a, a huge coordinating um, uh, thing that people have to do to make this happen. And I mean, I'm pretty amazed because. I haven't really heard of any patient being harmed of not getting a treatment during uh, some kind of disaster. It may happen, but I don't hear it in the news, and I think that's pretty amazing. It is amazing because we have all kinds of disasters, whether it's, it's a terrorism event like the Boston uh, uh, Marathon uh, mm-hmm. bombing or whether it's a wildfire or water contamination or blizzard. We had a lot of ice storms the past two years, especially in the southeast. Uh, it could be innumerable things. Uh, different areas have flooding every spring, spring or tornadoes in the late spring. So there's different types of uh, issues that affect different parts of our country at different times. So there's always something going on. 
And an emergency doesn't have to be statewide. It could be local within your community or within your region. Mm-hmm. So it may not be an emergency in the northern part of your state, but certainly be an emergency in the southern part. So patients, we, we do keep the patients in mind always. They're always number one to us, and we're always looking to give them the best treatment possible and timely as well. When there is an emergency, what happens uh is that the ESRD networks reach out to facilities to find out how they're affected by the emergency. Uh, that takes some time to get some information. We're also very concerned about patient status and how patients are doing um, and if, have we reached everyone. So we always look to have patients also call their facilities in an emergency. So if we can't get in touch with you, please get in touch with us so that we know you're okay. And then we can start rescheduling treatments if necessary or if the facility can open, that we're able to then move them to another facility as close by as possible in order to, you know, regain treatment ability. There's also many facilities. Most of them have an emergency number or some type of contact if their main number is down that you can, as a patient, reach so that you can find out information of where you should go for your next treatment. Well, and that's one of the questions is that when a patient is at a dialysis facility, um, the facility has a obligation to be able to, you know, make sure they have this number. What are some of the things that the facility does to prepare the patient for an emergency? Well, I can't speak um, specifically for the dialysis facility, but I do know that they all have disaster plans. And they also have uh, they do train the patients on how to do a quick disconnect from their dialysis in case something happens in the area. For example, let's say there's an earthquake. You'd want a quick disconnect from the machine. Patients need to know how to do that. Right. So they would teach the patient that, and it would be good for the patient to have a refresher every so often, and that would depend on the person, either yearly or maybe twice a year, to get a refresher on how to do that so you can remain safe as a patient. Uh, also know what the facility uh emergency management plan is. What would they do in an emergency? How would they approach the situation? Would they be, do they believe they'd be able to stay open? And if not, what their backup facility is. And most importantly, it's always a communication um, issue. How do we get in touch with you? Right. And that goes back and forth. You want to know how to reach the facility and maybe know what their alternate number is. Or if you're able to go online, can you reach them via email or via their website? And You know, in kind, you would like to be able, as a patient, to give them your information so they can reach you as well. Sometimes we find an emergency also. uh, Patients will go maybe to another town or city to stay with a relative, but you need to let your facility know that so that they're not concerned that maybe you're either missing or ill. And right. uh, they want to make sure you get that treatment. Well, and for a little while after a major emergency, the telephone lines are down. And... And, you know, a lot of times the landlines will work faster than a cell phone. And so, you know, just to take that in consideration, you might want to have a a landline phone number where uh, your facility can get a hold of you as an emergency. Because um, that was a big issue here, too, that, you know, the cell phones were overrun um, with calls and they basically just crashed. That can happen. Um, Technology isn't perfect. Uh, texting works very well in an emergency, mm-hmm. and if someone does have a text plan and does have a cell phone, that can be very helpful as well. I know. Isn't it? It is amazing about technology now, and, uh, you know, that's an interesting fact because as technology evolves, 
uh, if you have a contact number for a facility, I imagine they've given patients a text number as well, because not all lines take texts, as as we know. And pretty soon, you know, this the the cell phone, everything will be obsolete, and there'll be some kind of gadget in our ear that we won't ever have to work with <laughs> eventually. It could turn into that. But I think it's important for a patient to know how to communicate with their facility. And you don't always have to wait for your facility to reach you. You can reach them. You understand that ahead of time. You're way ahead of the game if a disaster occurs. Because some disasters happen slowly and you have time to prepare. Like, let's say a storm is coming. Mm -hmm. But if you have a tornado or an earthquake, that's more instantaneous. And you don't have time to prepare for that particular. And it's good for you to know after that, well, gee, how? what are the different ways I could reach my facility, you know, in some kind of disaster? Well, back, I think it gives you peace of mind when it, you know that. It does. Back in the 1993 earthquake that we had here in Los Angeles, um, I know several uh, patients that ended up, you know, calling each other because, you know, some of the pharmacies and it was difficult to get medication. And so uh, in the transplant community, we all shared the same medicine. So we're like, hey, can I get a couple days from you until <laughs> um, I can get the pharmacy to, you know, refill my prescription? And, you know, you have to be creative in a disaster. And that's one of the good things about um, being networked with different patients because, you know, sometimes you just got to step in and lend a, a case of supplies. <laughs> and and, and that's, that, that's another important reason why you need to communicate. So for PACER, when we, we hear that there's a disaster and we speak with the networks, we find out what needs may need to be met, um, what's missing, what's broken, uh, what would be helpful there. And we act kind of as a coordinating body to get people together from from different agencies, different mm-hmm. organizations. The federal agencies are always going to come on our calls. We work with the networks, try to find out the best way to get get supplies or resources to that area. Our large dialysis organizations usually have a lot more resources and are well able to handle these type of things so that they can fly things in or move things into a disaster area or right outside the disaster area if it's not safe to be within. Um, so that uh, patients can get treatment. So there's a lot of coordination that goes behind the scenes, but it's all so that we can ensure that our patients stay healthy and get treatment. Now I remember um, uh, when Katrina hit, and it was just an awful storm, but one of the large um, dialysis providers basically was so prepared that they had more um, uh, trucking materials, supplies at the borders waiting to, to respond than actually the government did. <laughs> and, and I mean, I was pretty proud of just to hear like, wow, they came in and in fact, they ended up helping more people than actually people with dialysis because they were more prepared. Sure. And, and, and also you, you have to, that's where you coordinate a lot of different groups together of people, different organizations, um, different agencies, and, and the organizations can be corporate, a nonprofit, NGOs, anything where let them do what they're good at to mm-hmm. help the situation. If everyone does what they're really good at, you'll find exactly what you just mentioned, that uh, you'll have a large dialysis organization bring in portable dialysis machines and generators, and, and they're ready. They have the supplies. They're ready to go. And while it may not be comfortable within the area of the emergency, at least patients are able to get dialysis mm-hmm. and stay, stay well. Now, what if people are on home dialysis? Because that's, I know, 
um, if you're connected to a facility, um, all home patients do have a home facility. But you know, if your power goes out or if it's un- if it's if it's unstable in an area, I, I heard of several patients in north the Northeast where they were in home hemo, and you know the the power just kept going out. Um, one opted to get a generator, but um, the same rules apply. Correct? I mean, you know, you just basically have to be really connected to your facility despite your on home dialysis. Absolutely, and and that's a, a good thing to find out. Uh, to speak to the facility who, let's say, orders your supplies for your home dialysis, and find out. Uh, if the local community is aware of the home patient, because the facility would know that. Um, and also I would check to see if if uh, there's an alternate place, at, if I was a patient, where I could dialyze if I couldn't dialyze at home. So those are two things I'd want to find out. And then you may, as a patient, want to speak with your local emergency management agency within your community and your utility company to find out if they have priority lists for getting power and other things back online so that you can still stay home and, and you know, have your treatment at home without moving around. Often in an emergency, we like people to stay put. Exactly. You know, not move from where they are so they can clear roads or, or do whatever cleanup activities and recovery activities that are necessary. Well, and this is an extreme situation, but um, back in the 80s when I was on the cycler, um, an unfortunate situation happened where a a gentleman ended up killing himself on our um, electrical pole right behind our house. It was absolutely horrible. And, you know, we were there and, you know, the fire department was there and it had taken out the whole entire area in power. And, you know, I just nonchalantly went up and I'm like, you know, to a fireman and, you know, I said, oh, well, how long do you think the power is going to be out? I got to do dialysis tonight. (laughs) And he's like, what's your address? And um, I gave him my address and they dropped off a generator to me with with a fireman to do my treatment that night. And I think that was a little extreme, but I mean, it was, I, I never missed a treatment. And the key is, is just letting people know what you need and, you know, you're going to find it eventually. I think that might be a little extreme today because of the number of patients that, you know, require dialysis now as opposed to the 80s. But, um, you know, it, it was it was an interesting experience. And I have to say it was very cute, too. So that helped. I mean, I was a teenager at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that. Again, when you when you let people know what you need, it makes a world of difference because there are people who aren't aware of how important it is to have dialysis every three days. They don't understand that. And I'd like right. to add here at this point that in any emergency, patients really should go on a three-day emergency diet. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Um, even if they, you know, because sometimes you're not sure if you're, you'll get the treatment or not um, on your third day. So it does help when you're on the emergency uh, diet to limit the amount of buildup of waste in, in your body. And yeah. while it's not a replacement for dialysis, it's certainly going to buy you that extra More time. time you may need until alternate care can be provided. And what, where do you get a copy of that diet? Because, I mean, potassium is one of the biggest culprits in fluid. So those are the two that are going to get you quickly. Phosphorus is going to make you itch like crazy, but it's not going to take your life immediately. <laughs> um, uh, where do you find that diet? Well, the diet you can find in uh, Preparing for Emergencies, a guide for people on dialysis. Uh, that's a CMS booklet, and that can be found. Uh, you can either, a patient can call their ESRD network, 
or and, and request a copy, or if they have a computer, they can go online to the CASER website, site, and I'll just give you that address. It's www.casercoalition.com, and then you'd click on the patient section, and in this section, you scroll down to the patient resources, and you'll find the booklet as a third item. Underneath that, click on that, and the booklet is there that you can either read online or you can print out, and the diet is in there. And and I'll add that link under the show on our RSN page, so it's easy for people to find. Um, and yeah, it is. I actually I remember that book, and it's um, it's a, you know you should print it out and you should keep it handy and also give it to one of your family members so that they know. Um, because some people are better equipped at emergencies to remember things than others. I've, I found that out during the um, Northridge earthquake. Like, where's the gas? How do you turn off the gas? Like, you know, you just completely forget. Absolutely true. And if you're not feeling good, right? Also, you you might not be thinking as clearly, especially when emergency is going on. It doesn't mean that you're particularly maybe nervous about the emergency, but you just don't feel well because maybe you're on day two and a half when the emergency happens. You really only have a half a day till you have dialysis, and if you can't get it, then you just might not be feeling as strong as you were, you know, the day before. Um, but I'd like to also note that uh, we're actually Caser is collaborating with a work group of volunteers, and it's a varied group that includes dialysis organizations, networks, and patients to revise and update that CMS booklet. And that booklet is fine the way it is, but we wanted to make sure numbers were updated, you know, phone numbers and contact mm-hmm. information. We added some websites for planning. Uh, and so we're hoping the revised document will go live early 2016, if not earlier. And, you know, it is, it's, 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 things change. We learn new things. I mean, in California, you know, they have different ways of where you should go when you have an earthquake, um, uh, used to be go stand in a door frame. That's no longer um, <laughs> the place to go, they're saying. So it, it, things change and we learn more. And and I think, you know, one final question before we wrap up. Um, it's really important for the patient to have documentation about their um, specific medical needs. And, you know, you know, I would say carry it in your purse, your medication, your doctors, your dialysis prescription. Um, can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, and this could be a very lengthy topic, so I'll try to keep it short. But, yes, it is important to have some kind of identification on you. Um, some people wear a necklace or a bracelet, or they have a card in their wallet. Bracelets are the easiest to find, but you wouldn't want to wear it on your dialysis access arm. Uh, you could wear a necklace, have a card. If it were me, I'd probably carry a card and also wear a bracelet if I had my choice. Um it's important that you, you have a list of items. So if you're putting together some kind of emergency kit, it's helpful to have a lot of contact information. And we provide a lot of those things on our website, as does uh, another site that you may like to list, ready.gov. It's a mm-hmm. wonderful site that helps you put together simple plans that will be very effective in an emergency. But having contact information, knowing your medications, knowing mm-hmm. when to take them, um, also understanding what foods you can and cannot eat. And if you are evacuated, to be able to inform your shelter that you are on dialysis because there's a lot of foods you cannot eat at the shelter, especially if they're high sodium. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding water constraints. And probably one of the best beverages you can drink on dialysis is water because there's a lot of beverages that are that are not good for dialysis patients to drink during an emergency. Right, because they have a lot of added things they don't need. <laughs> right. Um, it's helpful to also think about um, 
maybe if you're packing things together, put your documentation in a waterproof container, either a, you know one of those um, sealed plastic bags or in some type of container so it doesn't go badly. You want to know your uh, uh, medical information, but not only that, have a copy of your card, your, your, mm-hmm. your medical card. Have a copy of your driver's license, um, your doctor's phone numbers, and uh, family members, household members, and it just can go on and on, but it's the people that you need to call that are important. Uh, your facility number, and also maybe their 1-800 number if they have one or their mm-hmm. emergency number or the text number if they have that, your nephrologist. Keeping keeping all that information together is going to make a world of difference. You also may want the, uh, the school number where you or your children may go to school, work contacts, your insurance rep, utility company to find out when they're going to be fixing things, uh, your care partners, physicians, um, maybe maintenance and your mechanic. So all these things are very helpful, and it, it's a little cumbersome to put it together, but it's well worth it afterwards because then you have everything at your fingertips. Well, and, you know, it, it is. It's so true because me and my husband were talking about this, and we're always a little bit, you know, I guess you never can be too prepared because um, we need to have – we have designated a person out of state to have all our information because if you have an emergency and the phone lines are sh- shoddy, you might be able to Facebook that person – to call people and help them know where you are and what you're at. And so, um, you know, to think of somebody that's out of state or out of your area that's not, um, that understands your specific needs, um, you know, that's really important for an earthquake area. So, uh, and I know Facebook and social media, sometimes you can get and post on that, but you won't be able to make a call. And it's helpful. And um, and the other thing, you know, I think I just want to stress is that, you know, you you have your emergency kit and, um, you know, it's suggested to maybe put some medicine in it, but you, you have to update that medicine. And I was talking to uh, one of my uh, uh, friends who's on dialysis and they're like, oh, I just keep my emergency kit in my car. And, you know, your medicine doesn't do too well when it's 120 degrees out. So you have to, you know, really understand how to, you know, if you're keeping something for an emergency to make sure it's effective and not been destroyed by the elements. Well, we always tell people with food and water and medications to rotate them every six months. So take them out, use them, and replace them with with something new so that uh, it stays fresh. And you're right, things can't stay in the trunk because they either... Some medications can't be frozen, and some can't have, you know, a high uh, temperature either because it affects their effectiveness. Uh, those are all important things. Also, having, like, tools, um, little tools, having paper plates, paper cups, maybe a roll of paper towels, garbage bags, moist towelettes, maybe a first aid kit. Think about some over-the-counter medications like antacids or, or a pain reliever that might be helpful. Uh, personal aids, like toothbrush, toothpaste, maybe you, you have a denture cream, um, little things like that that are going to make your life just that much easier when you're going through the emergency. Well, when you're having an emergency in the cold, I heard garbage bags are the best thing to have because you can get really warm with several garbage bags. <laughs> blanket is nicer. I know. If you have room for that. But, but it's smaller. I mean, you could get a whole box of garbage bags in and, like, insulate yourself very well. I mean, hopefully this will never happen. But um, I know you get really cold when you're on dialysis, and I don't think you have enough blankets that you could actually carry with you. So, um. Well, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> and, and also consider your children and pets because when you're yes. evacuating, you want to make sure that you 
you are bringing maybe a favorite toy and maybe some activities for the children, something that's easy to carry. And, and pets also, you need to know where you can leave your pet. Most people will not leave their pet behind. Right. Um, so it's good to know where you can, where you take can your bring pet. It. Not all evacuation shelters will take pets, but if they do, you'll need to have a cage or a carrier for your pet, a leash, uh, probably a name tag. And again, as we were talking about contact information and other information, have a copy of their health records because they may want to make sure that they have rabies shots or things like that. <laughs> Emergencies are so difficult, aren't they? They just are so time-consuming. It's a mini-move. It, it really is. Well, you know, I, I really just want to encourage everybody to go to their physician, go to their facility, um, go to their transplant clinic. I mean, you know, you, you need to know um, just emergency plans. If you've just gotten a transplant and you need to see the doctor, I mean, talk to them um, about, um, you know, what would happen if I can't get to clinic and I'm two weeks post-transplant. Um, and what do I do? Because uh, we can never be too prepared, and I know I need to go get more prepared. So thank you, Joan. And uh, again, if you could just say the website again for people that can go find the information and be you know, ready for hopefully never to have to deal with a disaster. What was the website? It's www.casercoalition.com, and I'll spell that, K-C-E-R. C-O-A-L-I-T-I-O-N dot com. And Lori, thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure speaking with you today. Well, keep up the great work, and we look forward to, um, you know, hopefully our paths will never cross during an emergency, but cross at maybe a conference. So um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Lori. Take care. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.